0: Thank you. the up full life podcast i'm your host b gets and this is episode number 28 coming at you live and direct from the vibe junkie studios in oakland california and we are oh so grateful you are tuning in The Helpful Life Podcast is honored and privileged to welcome my dear friend Jessica Dore to the show. You can find her on Twitter at the Jessica Dorr, Dore, D O R E. Also Instagram at the Jessica Dore. Uh, Jessica is a licensed social worker using tarot cards to talk about mental health. Now she's a former editor with Psych Central and New Harbinger. But most recently, she's been carving her own path uh, with a huge following on social media, including like hundred and thirty thousand followers on Twitter, almost a hundred thousand on Instagram, and marrying the worlds of tarot and psychology in a way all her own, at once new, yet ancient, and it's a really profound practice and her story is inspiring Uh, now i've been uh, happy and proud to call jessica my friend for upwards of 15 years dating back to the halcyon days uh, in new orleans but really i wanted to get the scoop on how she got to where she is and by where she is she is in the berkeley hills uh, in this absolutely majestic, uh, picturesque, tranquil, beautiful treehouse studio where she is writing a book about tarot and psychology. So now we've been sort of crisscrossing around. She's uh, now living in Philadelphia, uh, but is out here writing the book. Now, some of you may know I'm from the Philadelphia area. and So it's funny that I finally settled out here in Oakland where she lived for some time, and she in turn moved to Philadelphia. But now she's back out here in the Berkeley Hills writing a book and was kind enough to invite me over to that space so we could have this interview, which was really more like a powwow between old friends. And we touched on, of course, New Orleans, we touched on her practice with reading tarot and its uh, relationship to psychology and how she's sort of interpolating and interpreting that uh, with her daily readings on Twitter and how that sort of built its own momentum and uh, interaction with uh, folks and the magic of social media. It's just a great story, an inspiring story. And, of course, we had to talk a little bit about her yoga practice. Uh, she's a yogini, if you will, uh, ashtanga yoga Um And she's also a proponent and devotee of Jamaican dance hall, which is precisely why the soundtrack to episode 28 has been all about Kingston vibes. Lady J, Jessica, who for a time uh, explored DJing dance hall and lived in Jamaica, and she talks about that a bit. But the majority of the conversation is focused on her work with tarot Mental health So with that I'm going to let this Lady G Enough respect Play out for a moment Earlier you heard Lady Saw No long talk Classic dance hall record Now I'm coming with Enough respect And then we'll hear From Lady J Jessica Dore At The Jessica Dore On the Alpha Life Podcast Episode 28 And I'm your host B Getz Welcome to the Upful Life podcast. I'm your host B Getz, and I'm in a absolutely picturesque, idyllic setting with uh, dear friend Jessica Dore. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: pronouncing your last name right?
1: It, uh, I say Dore. We, oh. my family says Dore, but I like Dory because I think that's actually what it was originally. Okay. I think they, you know, assimilation turned it to Dore, but. Uh, it means golden in french which is nice that's more
0: i was thinking about it on the (laughs) way over here whether i was going to ask uh beforehand or just do it on the air but i figured i would do it on the air so you might have an opportunity to explain it as such Uh uh-huh so yeah and on uh, instagram and twitter you're the jessica Dore. yeah Mm d-o-r-e and uh we've been friends for a long time as i mentioned in the introduction before uh the interview started i've known you upwards of nearly, what, 15 plus years now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we've sort of crisscrossed uh, our lives uh, by coastal and in the bayou um, in a variety of ways. And I had the fortune of running into you on the street the other day near where I live <laughs> in the Lake Merritt uh, area of Oakland. And now we're out here in this picturesque tree house in the Berkeley Hills for this interview. So, all that to say welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an honor it's and a privilege and a joy, uh, not just for the interview, but to catch up with you, to see you. Um, it's really uh, inspirational to watch from afar through like the different mediums and see what you're up to, um, but to see you in the flesh and you have a glow and you're in this amazing uh, environment for creativity mm-hmm. and tranquility. Yep. And, uh, so thank you for inviting me up here.
1: yeah, absolutely. you know actually, I was thinking about um I was thinking about when we were in New Orleans for jazz fest uh, <laughs> and you invited me to write something for Jambase. yeah, and I think that was like one of my first like pieces of writing that I had had published outside of like a school thing or like I had a I had a newspaper column when I was like in high school in my city like my town that I grew up in but that was my first thing and I was remembering that earlier today I was like you know what I gotta say thank you for that because I was so excited I think it was an MIA show maybe or something I'm sure you don't remember because there's been so much but I don't
0: remember specifically the show but I do remember asking you yeah the coverage to kind of spread far and wide and you wrote this great your
1: big roundup for the for the fest that year and I got was so excited that I got to contribute to it I was just like wow
0: I'm the coolest person ever. amazing memory thank you for bringing that up because yeah. now that you you mention it yeah i do remember that and that's awesome and <laughs> that was sort of like our uh embryonic sort of creative connection and i've uh you know just take a small measure of uh, pride and and now here you are uh writing a book and uh you have this amazing following for your work which we're gonna delve into in depth and to know that uh you know that little slice of of history where it's like and it just goes to show like I always add a lot of respect and admiration for just your compass when it comes to you know like what's hot in the streets you know <laughs> musically artistically uh, and we'll get into that too but yeah I had full faith that you would go to the show and you would deliver and and yeah that's awesome that that here we are from there
1: yeah, it is awesome. I don't know how you how you knew like that I could write or, or anything, but it's it means a lot when somebody like you were kind of older than if you were older than me. And I was like, I mean, I was what, 21, something like that. I was a pipsqueak, yeah. yeah. you know, so for somebody who had so much experience with music writing to invite me to do something like that, it, I remember it meaning a lot to me.
0: Wow. Right <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: Spontaneously just remember that just now, so.
0: That is beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to kick off the conversation. It just uh, let the people out there listening understand that uh, I didn't just come upon you since I lived in California or since you've, you know, started doing uh, your work in tarot and psychology, but that our roots are like I said embryonic and that's that's I can't say that for really many of my guests although I could have said the same for Karina mm-hmm. who uh, was on, I believe episode four or five. And she's another link in this sort of, uh, this family, if you will, this sort of loosely connected, artistic, creative network of yep. folks yep. that I am. So, you know, just proud to be a member of and yeah. And to sit Same. here with you, uh, is just a real joy. So everyone out there <laughs> listening, this is a long awaited <laughs> convergence and that, uh, I am so thrilled to be able to help Jessica just talk a little bit about her story, her path, her work. Um, But let's take it back to the beginning. Before we get into, uh, you know, the Jessica Dorian and and, um, your your tarot readings and, and psychology, what are like your roots either academically or culturally that sort of began this path. Where are you from? What did you study? Mm -hmm. And then let's maybe get through your...
1: Italian and Irish Catholic household. Very sort of classic Boston... Uh, breed, I guess, like the Italian-Irish and the Catholic thing. Uh, And then I went to New Orleans in 2005. I I had been in college, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so um, I decided... What school were you in? Well, I was at UMass in Amherst. And then I decided, because I had no idea what I wanted to do... Um, I was going to take a break. Now, the, the other piece of it was that I met a guy that lived in New Orleans who you also know, um, who was also from Massachusetts, and he was an artist, a musician, and I wound up taking a break from college so that I could go, <laughs> go live with my musician boyfriend in New Orleans in 2005, um, and wound up down there. Katrina happened shortly after I moved there, and then we went back. Lived there. I went to Loyola. I studied communications, so I was doing a lot of writing in school.
0: That may have been why I thought subconsciously to ask that I knew how to write. Yeah, if you're a communications <laughs> major and studying writing.
1: Yeah, like I was, I was doing journalism and stuff right. like that. At, in did you yeah. have some experiences? With, yeah,
0: what were some of the the sort of nascent? right did you keep a journal i did
1: oh god i have so many like i have a i have like a laundry basket in my like my bedroom i hope my the 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 room that was my bedroom when i grew up a laundry basket full of notebooks and journals like i had journals from age five or or even four maybe like as soon as i knew how to write letters i wanted to write stuff down and it was you know dear diary today my sister was mean and that was it or whatever but (laughs) i was i had to be writing something So for sure. I always like to write. And in college, I think I just thought, well, if I'm going to go to college, I should do something that I like doing. So I did communications and English minor um, that I think I'll be able to get a job doing. So communications, that was where that came in. I thought, well, I'll get a job somewhere doing something. (laughs) I don't know what, but um, yeah. So that was how the writing got started, at least.
0: How long were you in uh, New Orleans before the storm?
1: Not very long A few months Like I got down there I think it was April or May I think it was May uh, And the storm hit end of August
0: Sure Wow (laughs) Yeah Do you have any recollections of pre-Katrina New Orleans? Like things that stick out that maybe like uh, weren't anymore Or that that you noticed um, not really
1: No I mean my I was so brand new to the city Everything was new Right To me I had been there to visit a couple of times I think I went to Jazz Fest once before I moved there I think I have such a. I think that makes sense because I came down. Yeah, Jazz Fest is usually in like April, right? Correct. So I went down for Jazz Fest and I went back to Massachusetts and then I must have moved down that like spring or like after Jazz Fest. Um, So no, I have such a. It was the summer and. Yeah,
0: like, it's, right. it's, no. It's a blur. Yeah. Right, so, and you, you came back to New Orleans after the storm and spent a few years there, right?
1: I did. I was there till 2010. I was there from yeah. 2005 to 2010.
0: Yeah, you must have <clears throat> left, uh, right, because fir- I'd been to Jazz Festival eight times by 2010, but uh, <laughs> one of the last times we'd hung out until... Uh, Years later was that Mardi Gras in 2010, when the Saints won the Super Bowl. Oh yeah. I was living in Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville Beach, and I saw on some TV news program just the Super Bowl parade, and we were like, Mardi Gras is up next. And I just, next thing I knew, I was headed to my first carnival. Um, and you had we you took me to watch the Mardi Gras Indians a second try. So I I been I didn't know and and you made sure that I got there it's one of the most rewarding and just just absolutely beautiful cultural experiences that I've ever had especially in that city so yeah. while I have a moment let me say thanks for bringing me down there <laughs> we also went to tips for a show carl denson or something uh we had a you helped make sure I had a really great carnival uh let me know a couple of the parades to go to and where <laughs> and where to see them at so
1: it's funny because actually that year you saying that um remind reminded me that it was the year that the saints won i actually Lombardi was Grodd, i was Grodd. living in the bay area i had just moved to the bay and i was there visiting and okay. you were there we were both it we both just had up there but i had just moved like i okay. i had just left new orleans and then i was missing it and and i my sister actually was like I don't know why she did this. Like she never does things like this for me anymore. But she bought me a flight. She's like, "Oh, I booked you a flight to New Orleans." I was like, "What?" So I went to New Orleans and I stayed with some friends and and got to do Mardi Gras and yeah. it was great. And I saw you and yeah, we went to some amazing. shows. Which I'm sure you were the. I'm I'm sure you took me to the shows, not the other way around. Right. But <laughs> maybe to the shows, right. I maybe took you to Second and Dryads, right. but yeah, I'm Correct. sure that if it was Carl Denson, if it was anything yeah. at Tips, anything late night, it was probably you're doing.
0: Okay. <laughs> but uh, that's my recollection of the that carnival you just played you and and Karina too played mm. such a role in helping me see past uh what the sort of national conversation is about Mardi Gras which is like boobs and beads mm. and sort of bacchanal and I guess it's all those things but it's mm. really a spiritual cultural almost religious yeah. experience. Do you view it as does it have any sort of resonance with you Fondness as a like uh, experience that you hold on to, or is it some uh, flippant thing from your youth?
1: No, I definitely. I mean, I have very fond memories of Mardi Gras, and I and I remember like learning about something like the Mardi Gras Indians, where you know there is really this very interesting dynamic with Mardi Gras where there's like you see just how in many ways you see the um, the sort of stratification the racial stratification in New Orleans where there's like white Mardi Gras and there's black Mardi Gras where you know something like Second and Dryads you get to see a lot of the black culture in New Orleans the the things that are unique to black people living in New Orleans doing some of the the traditional arts and and that's really, really cool. And you you don't see that as much, I think, in the mainstream when you see what right. Mardi Gras is. Like you're saying, you see Bourbon Street and boobs and the, those pl- terrible plastic beads, right. which I'm sure Karina talked about. Yeah, <laughs> sure um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, that was those those um, getting to see the whole picture and getting to see everything and just the way that New Orleans was, the culture there. um interactions between race and class and all of these different things i mean i learned so much from my time that i lived there it's it's beyond yeah. um anything that i had ever experienced growing up in massachusetts you know in in the town that i grew up in it was very white very sort of uh what's the word monotonous sure. i don't know if that's homogenized the Homogen- yeah like it was just very sort of I didn't know anything about the world, right. you know.
0: So, so I appreciate mm-hmm. you exposing me to that, you know, and, and I always try to make sure to support that however I can, such as talk about it on the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was lucky to get to be introduced to things in New Orleans that, um, yeah, I mean, I also just be, somebody who lived, lived there for five years, you know, it's such a short time that it, it felt like a kind of a long time when I was there because I think – at that age time just seems like it lasts longer for some reason than it does as you're getting older but i always i still really feel like i was always kind of a visitor in new orleans you know what i mean i was i was always lucky to be able to be at an event or to experience or to see something or i I was always the person that was that somebody was sharing with me you know what i mean um and yeah it's a I, i don't i feel like i've just barely scratched the surface of new orleans Having lived there for five years you know what i mean
0: Right, and it probably feels like a lifetime ago at this point.
1: It was. It was a long time ago, and I haven't been back. I went down there and DJed uh, with DJ T-Roy, who was like the this dance hall DJ that I am obsessed, was obsessed with, and still obsessed because he's awesome, but um, this guy Troy, who is a, a, just a very, very nice person, and invited me to come down and DJ on Thanksgiving, um, I think twice, actually, I went down there on Thanksgiving and DJed, and um but that was the last time i've been down there and it's been a few years it's been like okay. probably five years or so right so on. i don't i don't know what's going on down there when now. the time is
0: right you know, i'm sure you'll find your way back for sure. serendipitously just totally. like that time <laughs> that you when I, saw I hope you. so yeah, yeah. it's yeah. been
1: coming up a lot more lately for some re- people are coming to new orleans or come you know like friends that i haven't talked to in a while or this conversation it's maybe, been coming up
0: maybe a book tour or something yeah Ooh, whatever. that's yeah. a good idea I want to touch on all that, um, but you brought up the DJing and stuff, uh-huh. um, and you know, we talked reggae a bit, and the last time that I saw you in the Bay Area, uh, when I first came out here around 2012, and you were living in Oakland, and we had lunch one day, and you had the turntable set up, and you were living in Oakland, so take me kind of through that, if you wouldn't mind, like you move out here in 2010, and you to kind of dive headlong into uh the work you're doing not the tarot work but kind of like psychology writing editing if i'm not mistaken mm. and also uh being lady J, the dance alter, <laughs> you know how did, yep. how did all that come to to be out here in the bay you know
1: um well yeah when i when i was in new orleans i got kind of got i got really into dance hall because this dj dj t-roy who i loved and i used to go to his dance hall parties all the time and then when i moved to the bay i was really excited because there's a really big sort of reggae and dance hall scene here and um a lot of artists that come from the caribbean and and stuff and
0: i that influence your moving here
1: I think it did, to be honest. I, I, I had I knew a few DJs that were out here. I would sometimes listen to their mixtapes. I knew that there was a lot of people out right. here that were into the music and I you know how music is. It's it's like I don't need to have any other reason except that the music yep. that I like is there and I'll be there. <laughs> you know. And of course, like if it was really dance hall that I was after, you know, well, why didn't I go to New York or you know, Miami or, or you know, wherever somewhere where there's like a much bigger West Indian uh, community. Right. But um, I also just, you know, love the Bay Area and so ended up out here. And I don't know, like, I think I just, I was in a time in my life where I was looking for something. It's like, kind of think of Joseph Campbell and the follow your bliss thing. Mm. And I remember just being like, I was feeling really stuck around something. And I, and, but every time I would listen to dance hall in particular, I just, it just takes me to another place, you know, Mm -hmm. the music that you love, it brings you somewhere else. And I was like, how can I just have this feeling in more ways in more dynamic ways how can I be with this in in different ways other than just as a listener and so I said you know what I'm gonna buy some turntables and learn how to DJ and and start to play with dance hall that way so that that you know I can I can engage with the music differently so that was that was how that happened and then I was lucky that this DJ out here DJ Greenby who's like, one of the more popular reggae dance hall DJs out here, she, she offered to come over to my house and teach me how to DJ properly because I didn't actually know. And I was just, she had me, she had me as a guest on my birthday one, like when, like I had told her one night out at a party, hey, I'm DJing. I learned how to DJ. And she's like, oh, cool. You can come and play a set on your birthday. And I did. And when I went out to play, she was like, you don't know how to DJ. (laughs) She's like, why don't I come over to your house and show you a few things? And I was like, wow. You know, like my life has been a series of people like yourself and like her and people that are just like, hey, let me help you out. Let me give you this little thing. And then I'm like, okay, cool. So she came to my house. I cooked dinner for her and she taught me how to DJ. And then from there, I just was super, super into it for a few years. And then I had a shift.
0: Right. But for a while, there was a big passion of yours. Yeah, It was really cool to just watch from afar. You dive in. And uh, what's a, what is, you know, and we talked off the air a little bit about, you know, that's not your culture, you're not native to uh, dance hall culture, but from where you came from uh, as a female and white Caucasian, mm-hmm. um, where was your place in that world when you, when you, you found yourself on the decks at a, at a club or at a party where people show respect, did you feel like you were in the club, or were those sort of archaic divisions rear their ugly heads?
1: I mean, it's really interesting. I, I it's a question that I ask myself a lot. And as far as sort of like being a woman, I didn't really feel like that was. I think if anything, people were just like surprised that I could do anything at all. Like, oh <laughs> shit, you know how to use a mixer? What? Like that. So that was always like, that was whatever. Like, because in some ways, that worked to my advantage. That it was like, well, if I if I can mix correctly from one song to another then like you're gonna think I'm that be- you know like you're gonna be more impressed by that than you would if it was a man I'm fine that's fine with me you know like people were respectful I think more for me where it was tricky was being white being American having no connection at all to Caribbean culture to Jamaican culture specifically and playing music that was you know it's very some of the music is It's deep, and there's a lot to it, and it's not just something that you can kind of... I feel like it's not just something you can sort of just dabble with, you know, myself being a writer, being a storyteller. Um, When I went to Jamaica and spent a significant chunk of time in Jamaica, I realized, wow, I don't know anything about... Like, similar to what I'm saying about New Orleans, like, I lived there for five years, and I just barely scratched the surface of New Orleans. I may love dance hall, but I'm still just scratching the very, very surface of what... This culture is what is the what is the what is being talked about? What are the issues that are being addressed? What are the nuances? Like when I spent time in Jamaica, I went there for five months. When I came back, I haven't DJed since. Wow, <laughs> I was just like, damn, I don't know. I felt like I didn't really have the business playing it. Honestly, I don't. Know, maybe that sounds take. weird, no, but I was just all, like,
0: it's kind of whoop. shocking. Yes, weird. No, I mean, it makes <laughs> yeah. total sense, but that I, it's not what I expected. It's to not.
1: Do. It felt to me that. Take us you through that. Really, How did
0: you end up in Kingston and in Jamaica and, and and your experience there? And then if you can explain it, you know, why why did that end result?
1: Yeah, I mean so I I loved dance hall, as I mentioned multiple times. Um, right. I was super into the genre of dance hall music and I and I like I just love the way that it sounds. I love the way that it sounds. I love a lot. The lyrics like often are very, very poetic, like very beautiful. You know, there's, there's a lot of different like sectors of dance hall. It's not just like a, a monolith or whatever, but like, um, I got super into it, so that I think was probably the original reason why I wanted to go to Kingston, to go and hang out and meet artists and go to shows and go to, you know, Stone Love and Weddy Weddy and some of the like, well, Stone Love is Weddy Weddy, but some of those iconic dance hall parties that I had heard about and get to see some of the DJs and artists. And so I went and was there for three weeks the first time and then I came back to the Bay and uh, I ended up leaving my job uh, where I had been for six years working in self help and psychology, book publishing. That's
0: what you were doing. When, yeah, That's
1: I mean, what I was it, doing. And I decided I wanted to leave my job. So I went to Kingston for five months. Um, I had some friends there who were like yoga teachers and healers. And I knew a yoga teacher there who teaches in the style of yoga that I practice every day. It's like a serious long term daily practice that I've had and had had at that point for several years. And I asked her, hey, can I come down and practice with you for a few months? And she's like, yeah, hell yeah. So I came down and um, it was kind of a combination of things. I wanted to, I wanted a change of scenery. I needed to be somewhere different. I really enjoyed my time in Jamaica when I was there. I had some friends there that I had made from my first trip. Of course, I love the music. The second time that I went, though, I think I, like I said, I just realized how little I knew about. Jamaica, Jamaican culture, you know, as an outsider, I was just like, this is, you know, it just, I just really, you just realize, realize that when you're somewhere, if you're paying attention and you're listening and you're, you know, you're, I'm always very aware of my identity in Jamaica because it's a majority black country and I'm white, obviously, right? So it's like stick out like a sore thumb a lot of times and you can't help but just notice how you don't know what's going on really like right. you know and and that that's not like i have some really really good friends there and it's not like it's not like oh i'm this like it's this total disconnect it's just for me it felt it felt a little bit disrespectful to when you when you go to jamaica and you listen to jamaican dj's and you see the way that the crowd reacts and you see what people there's people are they're they're doing things that you don't know what is going on you right. don't know what's going on as an outsider yeah. you know d- different artists and the way that those artists interact and 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 you know inter- the things that they have between them like you just don't know the half of it and it just felt si- kind of silly to me to yeah. be like no i got a lot of yeah, respect just, for that yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's not it's a like joke, it's not a joke, ju- like, it is, it is, yeah. I, I, I felt that it was, and um, well, and I didn't really like it, and I didn't want to really be a part of that, so. It's admirable
0: that you <clears throat> can separate yourself and be like, I love this music, and I want to play it, and you went there seeking source, it sounds like, I want to get closer to it, right, and, and then <laughs> you got a good look at it, and you had too much respect for it to, to continue to be a practitioner, when you really weren't a practitioner,
1: it's interesting. I mean, it's a thing that a lot of white people That's do. Beautiful. It's a thing that a lot of white people do is go to other cultures and not, you know, meanwhile, I've, I'm Italian, I'm Irish, I've never been to Italy, I've never been to Ireland, still to this day. You know what I mean? Why right. am I, I went to India to practice yoga, I went to Jamaica. Right. Like, it's like you have to ask yourself at a certain point, like, what's going on here? Why am I, what am I running from or what am I not wanting to claim in myself? Why am I so. Drawn to cultures that are not mine, I think this is a question that a lot of white people should be asking themselves. Could yeah. be asking themselves.
0: I mean, this could be a whole. You know, <laughs> we could go, all, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I get what you're saying, and I, oh, I want to probe it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think, and you know, I say this, you know, with respect, to, uh, the our his our cultures, our histories. Uh, there's, there's a lot. Uh, to be ashamed of as white people like Mm -hmm. when you talk about like okay so we're gonna of course traditions are beautiful and and, you know I celebrate my heritage you know and my family and where they came from but I think we maybe seek uh, a a different understanding of ourselves our consciousness or human experience elsewhere because there's some darkness at home that maybe uh, it's just like doesn't fill you up the same way and i, I want to get to your yoga practice too because i i feel like that's so connected to your work mm-hmm. um but yeah i find that in a lot of like uh, sort of forward thinking or progressive or quote-unquote woke communities it's like our history is full of crusades and conquering and yeah. death and marginalizing other <clears throat> peoples yeah. and it's hard to confront that um totally and, and it, claim it and celebrate yeah. it you know yeah like and i wonder
1: if i wonder if we are able to do that work as white people if we're able to do that work how that would change the way that we're able to relate to 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 other cultures because it's like or like other races or 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 non white i don't know like how to say that but it's like i because i think that there is sort of this i, I don't know if it's parasitic if it's you know it's this it's this need to take something in to cling on to it and to steal it and to own it and to make it our own and to not give credit where credit is due and to sort of it's, it's not what, what about that dynamic would change if we were willing to go back and do our own work, go through our own suitcases, as you were kind of talking about earlier off the air, like look at what's in there and then how does that change the way it's kind of like in a, in a, in the micro, you know, sort of relational sphere, like you sort of have to do your own work before then you're able to sort of connect healthily with another individual, appreciate that person right. without needing to sort of leech something off of them.
0: <laughs> that's that's a fair assessment, definitely. But I also think um, there's a certain humble sort of def- deference to say to people of Eastern philosophy or in India or... Buddhism or wherever you want to seek that sort of non-monotheistic pathway to creator, as if to say like, you know what, your way is the way mm-hmm. as opposed because everything's like my, religion and and, and a, a sort of Western thinking is all be the best, be the first, claim it <laughs> as your own. It's like I can say mm-hmm. that maybe Judaism, which is my heritage, mm-hmm. is not my pathway to creator mm-hmm. And I can have all the respect and 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 honor the traditions of my family but like when i'm trying to get to that place and seek that connection yeah it's not through the torah and yeah and and i don't think that i'm claiming another's so much as i'm uh gracious that they have shown <laughs> yeah another route another road totally. pathway and so and and but I still want to do the work. I mean, I find myself you know, now in this political climate, like, navigating a whole lot of minefields of, of that sort of suitcase of my people. White people, Jewish people, yeah. the, you know, there's a whole lot of loaded stuff with yeah. that, though, you know. Yeah. If, you know it,
1: totally. It's complex. It's it's so totally it applies not... applies to New Orleans, yeah, too. Yeah. So much, yeah. right? You yeah. know,
0: just claiming it versus just celebrating it saying, I want to go there and spend my money there and and support your art and your culture
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then tell other people about it but at w- what point am i yeah claiming it or bastardizing it it's yeah a, it's a it's delicate a, balance it
1: is it is and i don't and think I there's admire you simple... walking away
0: from the tables and saying like you know i'm not going to be a dance hall dj because i got a taste of what it really is you know that's just admirable. That's I don't like def- doing
1: things that are not like it is everything that I said and I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it and, and I listen to a lot of conversations and I read a lot about some of these topics appropriation in particular I think is what I'm thinking about but it is also just like I don't want I don't like doing things where I'm like I don't have the I'm the kind of person I like to really dig into something and really know what I'm doing and know what I'm putting out and know what I'm a part of. And, you know, I'm writing a book about tarot and psychology right now. And I'm, all I do is read. Like you're you're here with me in my treehouse. All I do is read. I read and I practice yoga and I sleep and eat when I have to. And I I occasionally meet a friend for dinner. (laughs) But like, that's all I do. Why? Because I'm I'm writing a book about this thing and I want to make sure that I understand it from so many different angles. And when you're coming into a culture from another culture from the outside and you just there's just no way for me to have that level of understanding. And 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 I didn't want to do it without that. You know? So (laughs) um and I don't I'm not saying that everyone should 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 do that. You know, like I yeah, like I think it's it's great. It's cool that that the arts do often arts and spirituality do transcend these sort of borders of nations and, and communities and, and stuff like that. And, and that's necessary in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's just a personal choice for me with some, I think ethical, um, like reasoning that's valid, but like, it's, I guess a combination of things.
0: Uh, Yeah. I think you're on terra firma you know, and and I think you conveyed it and people understand it. I just, I didn't know that that was the end of that pursuit. You know, I obviously know that you have other things going on and that DJing wasn't a big part of your life, but I didn't know until now uh, that it was a conscientious decision based in that. So I appreciate you going there and, you know, that was an important conversation on uh, on a lot of layers that I hope people can really dig into. But you did make uh, one sort of helping me seg into the work that you're doing. But before I get there, I just want to ask, do you still love dancehall? Yeah, of course. Okay. Oh so my it gosh. didn't rob you of yeah. your appreciation. It's just taught you you didn't want to be a DJ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Just being the person who's presenting the music, who's selecting. Yeah. Mm, that That's doesn't need to be me. <laughs> right on. Right
0: on. <laughs> that doesn't need to be me. Seen and overstood, yeah, as yeah. they say. <laughs> um, but you had said, we talked about appropriating and, and these sort of uh, traditions of hundreds or thousands of years, whether they be race or religion or a geographic, talking about your own with Irish and Italian and going back there. This isn't the same, but you could say that tarot mm-hmm. and psychology are mm-hmm. both long-standing, time-honored traditions, one mm-hmm. of academia and mm-hmm. one of sort of, uh, it could be undefined, and, and I've got a bunch of quotes highlighted of yours where you, you, you do your best to sort of frame it, of like what tarot, what your version of tarot is. Um, but do you find, is that a contradiction there? Because you're kind of taking, you know, from both, but you're not necessarily adhering to the established protocols of both. You're making, yeah. it's, it's it's really un, un, what do you say, like new land. It's, it's sort of, you're really breaking some boundaries and carving out some new ideas or processes. So, I, we got to start at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> okay. When does tarot become, uh, you know, such a vital part of your life, and how did that it, come to be?
1: So I was working in self-help and psychology book publishing at a publisher here in uh, the East Bay in Oakland called New Harbinger Publications, which is a, a mission-based public publisher that was started by a clinical psychologist who was working in haight Ashbury in the seventies, wow. and he was like man, there's so many people that need help and I can't, we can't individually see them. So let's make books and we'll just disseminate the information that way. Um, that way more people can get the care that they need and and they'll get these, you know, evidence-based treatments for these different disorders and issues that they're having. And, um, I I got so much out of my time while I was working there, and one of the things that I got while I was working there was I had a couple of coworkers who were into tarot, and they came to my house for dinner one time, and somebody brought tarot cards, and and I was going through something at the time, as usual, (laughs) and somebody pulled some cards for me, and I was like, I couldn't believe how seen I felt. I couldn't believe how useful it was for me, the messages that came through. I said, man, I got to get some cards. Now, my mother had that same deck. um, It's called the Rider Waite deck um, and with the illustrations by Pamela Coleman Smith when I was growing up. So she had them. So I was familiar with them, but I never used them myself. And so I got a deck, and this was in probably like 2011 or so. And from then on, I just pulled cards every day for myself and I became totally obsessed. And I was at that same time, my day job was reading going through working with these psychology books and the books that i was working with were books for therapists uh, about how to treat different things and so i was learning a lot about clinical psychology not just like self-help pop psychology it was like clinical stuff and even though i wasn't a therapist at the time i was learning a lot about what goes into treating different things like anxiety or ocd or eating disorders or psychosis or whatever and um so I was studying both of those things at the same time, tarot and psychology, and it just they just went together for me for from the very beginning. Was there
0: a lightning bolt moment, or <laughs> just it was it a sort of slow? marriage of the
1: two it was a slow marriage of the two and it was a a me pulling cards and looking at the image and reading something that someone had written about it in a book or on the internet and saying wow you know that reminds me so much of this concept that I was reading about earlier today or last week about experiential avoidance or self-compassion or you know one of these things that that one of these concepts or skills that I was learning about from the psychotherapy field and it, so it was just over the time of learning the cards I was always noticing that they were they were visual metaphors for a lot of the same stuff and that that's not it felt really it felt really like wow this is why is nobody else interpreting the cards this way it's so obvious that they're so the same it's all the same stuff now that I'm writing this book I'm realizing that's because a lot of this stuff is all coming from the same place. Well, I was going to say,
0: it's, but it's a revolutionary <laughs> thought, but when you, tr- when we think about it, it's like, of course, because you're really just, you're, you're going to the same place, which is the sort of like healing arts, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. but one is this clinical, like sort of westernized, you know, teachings and papers and ideas and mm-hmm. established modus operandi, and this tarot is this undefined mysticism right that's unfortunately that perception uh leads a lot of folks astray to think that it's like some ouija board spooky (laughs) or solely (laughs) vedic astrology and, and people have a lot of misconceptions and and i was one of those people for a long time and it wasn't until i had the uh fortune of my own partner Alicia bringing tarot into my life once we got together because it's a vital part of hers mm-hmm. and then being made, made aware of your work and just feeling again to follow your yes I was like I need more of this I I should investigate more and, and integrate it in my life when I read the cards and read whether it's your explanations or even like Hafiz or Rumi mm-hmm it's like it was meant for me it it fucks me up like yeah. in your experience does everybody who surrenders to the idea that this will help me feel like they're being spoken to directly
1: i mean i think if you're open to it yeah because you know the the tarot is a it's a deck of cards with you know these four there's there's the major arcana which are these 22 you know sort of major archetypes the trumps that are in the deck and then the the what's not a major arcana is broken down into four suits just like a regular playing card deck the four suits are at least in my analysis of the way that I write and teach tarot are representing the four basic domains of the human being experience the swords relate to cognitive and intellectual a psychological analytical domain the cups relate to emotional relational domain the the pentacles relate to the behavioral and material domain and the wands relate to the energetic and spiritual domain if you look at that cognitive emotional behavioral and energetic slash spiritual that is what makes up <laughs> the human experience the we all have right. all of those things right, right. so what you see when you pull the cards is cards that are speaking to those different domains of your experience. It's not, it, it's, it's not, um, it's human. It's a right. book about the human experience. So it, it, it kind of can't not, you know, the, the major arcana are a whole nother story, but the, 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 the majority, the bulk of the deck is these four suits that are just relating to what it's like to be a person who has an intellectual domain of experience, what it's like to be a person who thinks thoughts, what it's like to be a person who experiences emotions, um, and the various things that happen with that. You know, And, and it, it's really amazing actually that they, yeah. and I think that's, that's one of the powers of tarot is that you just feel seen and you're like, how is it possible that this is making me feel so seen right now? Right. But that's how, because it's somebody took Somebody, you know, put these things together in such a way that it's almost like this encyclopedia of the human experiences in these different domains of our of our being
0: that are evergreen, like timeless. Yeah, so, timeless. And timeless. that's what's so profound about it. As you can read even some old old tarot stuff, and it's as contemporary and real as you know something that you posted. You know what I mean? And that that's I think what is so mind-blowing about it, is that the human experience, as we evolve, it's the same, you know, like the feelings, the thought, the emotions, the conflicts, the conquests, everything about life is sort of like contained in those parameters. And then it's people like you that, you know, are kind of deciphering it in a language that everybody in 2020 can easily understand. Because sometimes when you consult the books or the established things with darrow they're esoteric and sort of Mm -hmm. woo-woo if you're not open to that yeah if you're not open to being to being addressed or spoken to in such verbiage it reads as this sort of you know kind of not very grounded but you address people in very primordial human today terms Mm -hmm. but it's still rooted in those concepts how did what was the moment when you're like, I'm going to trans- I'm going to break this down and deliver it? Uh, we can talk about social media and the power there. But just the fact that you're like, I could take this and turn it into something so relatable.
1: I mean, it's it's really, this is almost maybe a little bit of a, I don't know if it's like the best response to that question, the best direct response to that question. But what I've been learning as I've been studying and really, really diving deep into the tarot and the history of the tarot and where it comes from, There's sort of this legend of the tarot, which is that, you know, these ancient Egyptian priests were, you know, they had these, these mysteries, right? And they were like, we have these keys and this, (laughs) these, we have these keys to sort of like the, the, the laws of nature, right? And, and we want to preserve this information um, and we want to make sure that it stands the test of time. So these priests are sitting around and they're like, how can we do it? We put it in a book. "Mm, No, that's too, you know, whatever. I know we'll put it in a deck of cards because people love playing cards, you know, and then, and then, you know, people who just want to play cards, they'll just play cards, but people who are inclined to understand the deeper mysteries of life, will see the mysteries tucked in, hidden in there and they'll start to use them. And then they'll know, they'll see that it's a map to understanding the nature of things and reality. Um, the interesting thing about those some of those principles that come from that old time that the tarot is based on is that they are things like, um, you know, they're, they're hermetic laws, right? So like opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree, something like that. An idea like that, um, the, 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 the law of, or I don't know if it's a law, it is a law, Rhythm compensates. What goes up comes down. What come, you know, like things like that. And all of these ideas are tucked into the tarot. Now the thing is that actually all of those ideas are not all of them, but many of those ideas are also tucked into sort of our contemporary psychotherapy models. The 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 the, the therapies that psychotherapists are doing with their clients today. That they're doing all this research on, and they're you know they're 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 figuring out these interventions work. Those. And those interventions are based on the same ideas that you know, being able to hold two things that seem to be opposite at once is the key to living well. <laughs> um, you know, understanding that you know, there, it, there's so much. It's like I'm getting like off the deep end here. No, huh? I think, but stuff. it's it's really powerful, and and I think it's a lot of it for me has been. I saw the connections immediately. That oh, this card is talking about this. Idea from dialectical behavior therapy, which is a popular evidence-based therapy that's used a lot with people who have suicidal tendencies, suicidal behaviors, suicidal thoughts, self-harm, um, emotion regulation issues, so on and so forth. It's a, it's a well-known and, and popularly used therapy today. A lot of the ideas in DBT, they're same stuff. It's hermetic. It's hermetic principles that's in there. They might not know that. But it's interesting that these things sort of, they're archetypal, they get passed down through humans and they talk about it in a different way, but it's the same stuff. I've had to sort of work backwards. I noticed the connections right away, but I didn't know exactly where the stuff in the tarot was coming from. Then I started researching the tarot and I realized where it was coming from, started to understand more about Hermeticism, about some of these ancient Egyptian um philosophies and 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 ideas and then realized oh this <laughs> this stuff is actually what's underlying also a lot of these major world religions are are using right. similar ideas using some of that same stuff it's, it's. It had to be like mind blowing as you started to blowing. like
0: realize it because you you made the connection but then you dove all the way and in. and then realize
1: wait this actually right. really is the same shit like it's. Is there not- any scholarly
0: papers or anything out there that sort of addresses this this literal like line between the two or is yours basically so kicking down that door? My
1: book is gonna be there. You know tarot sort of you know. It it disappeared for a while, you know, that legend has been has been that I told earlier, it's kind of been proven to be legend and not real because, or said to be not real because tarot sort of disappeared off the map from that time until like the late 14th 15th century. And then it started showed up in Italy. Really, um, so it
0: is your roots. in a way. <laughs>
1: It is, which I didn't know at the time that I got into it, um, and then but I started feels getting into it, and I and yeah, it. totally, totally, and and it feels good for me yeah. to dig into that. But and it goes hand
0: in hand with what we just talked about. <laughs> exactly, about going back to your own backyard. Exactly, exactly. That's so perfect. It
1: is. It's very perfect, but um, but. Yeah, the the it, tarot kind of came back on the scene, and even in the deck that I use, the Rider-Waite deck, it was published in the early 1900s, and this is sort of the time of Carl Jung right. and psychoanalysis, you know, Carl Jung, who was a student of Freud. So a lot of the the literature out there about tarot and psychology is looked at through the lens of psychoanalysis, which is a traditional sort of old school style way of doing it that came from Jung and Freud, um, my work is focused on contemporary models, so the models that have come into favor as sort of the golden standard: cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, ACT. You know, these are these How are. How long have
0: they been the ex- the mo- accepted models or models? I should. Say.
1: I think around the the mid century, around the 1950s, was the sort of the beginning of behaviorism-ish, okay. and where maybe not the beginning of behaviorism, but it was the beginning of a behavioral approach to psychology, which means that instead of we sit here and we dive into the unconscious and we interpret dreams and we do all this kind of stuff, we're going to look at behavior and we're going to focus on like, what are the actions that you're taking in your life and how can we change those if they're not working for you? It's a very different, to understand? Yeah, it's, it's a very clinical. different approach to the first one was clinical too, okay. but it was more, you lay on the couch and you talk about your childhood Okay, yeah, the 40, behavioral 40 therapy 40. is okay, here's your homework. You're gonna you're gonna go to a party even though you have social anxiety because that's gonna challenge the anxiety that you have. It's very behavioral. Right. It's focused on behavior and change. So these models are these are sort of more and it works because you know, insurance companies they want to see observable evidence that what they're paying for is working. working. There's a whole thing about it. Wow. But the stuff is it, there's a lot of really good stuff in the, in those therapies, which is what I'm doing with my book, which is writing bringing in concepts from some of these newer therapies, incorporating them with the older stuff, incorporating all of that with the old 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 stuff, which I'm talking about the hermetic stuff, the for the that old philosophical spiritual stuff that is really underlying all of it. Everything. Psychology is the study of the soul. It's not a it. It it turned toward becoming a science rather than it could you have see been it as like
0: the arts. It is.
1: It is. Wow. It, it it there was a very like sort of distinct point if you look at the history of psychology where where psychology sort of could have gone. Sorry, it could have gone either in the direction of being like philosophy, humanities, or it could have gone in the direction of being. Um, a science and they started studying behavior and observable. And that was where psychology t- became a science. The word psyche means soul. So it's always the study of the soul. You want to call it a science? That's fine. <laughs> you know, but it's always well, going to be a study of the soul.
0: It, I, I get that. It's just ironic because it's like medicine in a lot of ways, like, a, you know, you're considered a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, as a psychologist and psychiatrist but it is in essence the study of the soul and with that so much comes along with it it's not just you know studies in the traditional sense you know there's there's writings and Mm -hmm. films and plays and so much that are of the soul that are symptomatic of any number of things Mm -hmm. so when you put it like that I mean, it just opens the floodgates. You <laughs> yeah, know? tell so me about that, it. That's incredible. <laughs> really revolutionary, yeah. and I appreciate you breaking that down. You're also reaching into some other places, like I was reading one that really resonated with me where you were qu- quoting the, like, like Satanist, I called him Alistair Crowley, who I know about because <laughs> I loved heavy metal music when I was a kid. There's all that, like, Satanism, so I read some books and stuff. But um, you're not afraid to pull in I- ideals and ideas, concepts from not just untraditional sources, but you know, that's somewhat controversial i mean that guy drank blood at orgies like castles and, and you know.
1: crowley was a major leader in the tarot in tarot history though he has a deck oh. called the toth deck like the crew of toth
0: in new right, orleans Right. wow i see and it's all connected that's yeah i'm <laughs> bringing it back to new
1: orleans here which and nobody calls it toth except me and i call it toth because in new orleans the crew of toth is called crew of toth i, right. I think that's how it's pronounced but and people always say oh thoth Right. T- like Toth like I'm like no it's Toth but you know in New Orleans like people pronounce things however they want to yeah. and <laughs> so I don't know like I don't know if that's actually what it's called in but t- Crowley circles. was a major well,
0: how is it, it pronounced uh, with regard to
1: people it? say all kinds of things I don't think t- anybody t- really t- knows okay. Toth toth. I say Toth because of that but that's the only reason but Aleister Crowley was you know there's sort of two big popular decks one is the Rider weight, which I've mentioned multiple times and the other one is Aleister Crowley's Toth okay. deck and it's a big deal. Yeah, it is a. Is big it
0: considered deal. like sort of the dark side or some? <laughs> no, any-
1: I, not I, no. I don't not really. I mean, it's it's intense. I have a friend who said that the deck is like every time you pull a card, it's just like an ominous bummer. That was what he what he okay. how he called the deck. Which I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of. I'll show you some of the cards if you want to later. There, no, not really. Um, he uses a lot of astrology. Um, the devil, the devil is a, is one of the major arcana right. in the tarot. And, um, in Crowley's deck, the devil is, is, it's a, it's a great card. It's not a, it's not a, it's not about addiction or about, um, capitalism or any of this kind of stuff It's about like pleasure. And I, I'd have to actually go look cause I don't know all of his interpretations, yeah. but, um, yeah, that just struck me because yeah. you know, you
0: often, you know, pull from psychology texts or like maybe tarot that I was more familiar with or just felt. And uh, when I saw the Alistair Kelly, I was unaware (laughs) of the connection. Do you, do you, is occultism still alive and well in, in the practice of tarot? Is it, is it still really rooted in that or do you think it's sort of evolved into more of this behaviorist thing?
1: No, I mean, I think the tarot is, I think you can, you can't, I think that you can use tarot the way that I teach. I like to sort of, Allow people to be flexible and to use it as a tool. You know, I've been I've been quoted in in different media outlets that I've been interviewed for saying that the tarot is kind of like a, it's almost like a, the Rorschach inkblot test where you know, whoa, what do you see? And I I cringe when I think about myself saying that because it, it's really. It kind of doesn't do justice to the the some of these deeper older. It definitely doesn't do justice, and it's it's insulting to people who have really really understand what the cards are about and what they're talking about and the occult roots of tarot. Right. Um, yeah, so I find that yes, I mean I think it's you yeah. Know. I think you can you can the great thing about tarot is you can you can it will meet you where you're at and where you're ready to, to go into. That's what event. I find. Yeah.
0: It's re- it could be very entry-level, practical, surface-level, should yeah. I, shouldn't I kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it could also, like, dig up some super deep-rooted <laughs> totally. trauma or joy or repressed yeah. memories that you never thought about. And frankly, that happens a lot with your work, you know, where I would just read or at least she'll send me that days and it'll just be like, take me back to some childhood place feeling emotion memory some good some not so yeah you know i, yeah. I think that's the power yeah. of the deck it's not just like point me in the direction of a decision i need to make yeah it's i mean that you can ask but sometimes it just i don't ask anything yeah I just accept yeah, and yeah it'll just take me to a really profound play often a, the avoidance stuff yeah you know yeah um you yeah. talked a little bit about that in one of the interviews, like uh, uh, the, uh, the concept mm-hmm. of avoidance and, and how it pertains to relationships and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, at what point in time did, did you, was it a conscientious effort? Because you said in the one interview you made a post with a card and an explanation, you got like 15 or 20 likes and it <laughs> felt really good. But I mean, we're a long way from there. Like at what point did it become a thing and then when did you notice like wow people are into this and and just kind of take us up to the point where you know people like the new york times and the ringer and the inquirer are calling asking for (laughs) interviews like
1: yeah um yeah i mean i i think like it's it's been an interesting experience in so many ways to see the way that social media has just like it's it's just become this sort of it's taken on a life of its own, but I think, um, at one point I, 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 I honestly, I don't even know. It was like, it was just, I was doing it every day. I was in graduate school. And and by doing it, I mean, because I guess we haven't really said what it is that we're talking about exactly the, okay. I post a, every day on Twitter, I post a card of the day and I say like today's card and then I write a little caption with it. And so, and what i the caption is you know it's the image of the card but then it's a caption that is that is based on a traditional interpretation or a classical interpretation of the tarot card but it's connected with usually some idea from the psychology or behavioral science fields um sometimes more spiritual sometimes whatever but I, I i generally stick in those fields of psychology spirituality and behavior um with my interpretations and yeah i mean i think like I just kept doing it. I just did it every day. And I think I was, you know, it sounds a little bit arrogant to say it, but I think I I am, I was taking all of this knowledge and information that I had gathered over six years of working for New Harbinger. And then I was writing freelance about behavioral science and psychology after that for a few years before I started grad school. So it was like, I was just gathering a lot of information about psychology and behavior and how our minds work and how (laughs) all of these things. And folding them in with delivering that information with a tarot card and people just liked it. And it just, it was consistency and doing something different. And I often say that I think the reason that it's one of the reasons it has done as well as it's done is that people, it's unexpected. You, when you see today's card, you expect your, someone's going to tell you your fortune. I'm not telling anybody's fortune. I'm giving a little nugget of like information or sometimes a question or a perspective. Yeah, like it's, and I think people are like, Oh, and people always say things like, wow, this is so on point, and wow, this is so accurate, and I'm like... That is a
0: really... uh, It's it's hilarious. You see so many go, how did you know I needed to hear this today?
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and it's funny because it's like, you can see the way that people still, even in their mind, even as they're reading it, they're still categorizing it in, this person just read my fortune. (laughs) (laughs) They still think that's what's happening. That's the the whole
0: like, (laughs) you know, woo-woo nature of tarot, like... Yeah, they're expecting The the Zoltar. The the, (laughs) the
1: Zoltar. (laughs) Of so Zoltar. I'm Zoltar, a, only the psychology <laughs> <yeah>. version.
0: <laughs> but it, it really does have that holy shit uh, feeling. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny, because I posted it when I saw one of the... I said, uh, yeah, this is my friend. She's killing it. I just read this article. And a bunch of people that I know, a couple from New Orleans, actually... Oh my god, I love her! Oh, like wow. they don't know you, oh, so know cool. you through me or anything. They just are <laughs> fans. Amazing, and, I, and it was it was just really so that was cool. another reason why I was like I should have her on the show because I knew that people in my network were, you know, following that's you awesome. a little bit. Um, you had mentioned about your yoga practice, and we talked a little bit about like going to India or going to other cultures. But when I was reading multiple of the articles, um, it said that you know you wake up at five in the morning, you have a little coffee, and then you do a two-hour intensive ashtanga yoga practice <laughs> daily but you don't actually select which you pull three cards do the yoga then subconsciously whatever happens in that practice you come out of that and you know the card and then you, so it sometimes that
1: happens that way and other times not it's like it's it I simplified
0: I, in the article it, kinda. It,
1: yeah like and i exactly and it's kind of like yeah sometimes it's sometimes it's that that i pull a few cards and something comes to me sometimes it's to be honest with you, sometimes it's I have an, a really great idea that I want to share and I match it with a card. That's very unconventional. Yeah. People probably freak out if they knew yeah. that it was I don't think I've ever said that to anybody like that. That's sometimes what it is. That's not not necessarily and five uh... minutes
0: into this to hear that. So they'll, <laughs> yeah. be, they'll be very invested in this to get that nugget. <laughs>
1: that's <everywhere. laughs> great. And they should be an hour and five right. minutes into this. So like, yeah, I mean, it's and it's OK to do that. Like, I think it's it's it's, it's OK to. Use the, it's in some There's ways, no it's, rules to this shit. I don't think so. I listen, I'm not what you're doing. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't do well with like rules. Yeah, like, we which talked is about why that. <laughs> I like why I do what I do. It's like I'm not really, it's interesting because when I started talking about tarot and psychology on social media, I was worried that my colleagues in the psychology field were going to think I went off the deep end and we're going to not want to work with me anymore on freelance projects or hire me. They were going to think I was totally crazy, whatever. Actually that has not been the case. The pushback that I've gotten is from like people who are very entrenched and rooted in the occult and the magic communities and people who take tarot very seriously and who think that what I'm doing is watering down, taking, you know, taking too much creative license with interpreting the cards, using them in a way that's irresponsible, things like that. And that's been very interesting for me to see just how kind of like the pushback, the psychology and mental health community is very into it. It's the uh, because, you know, these are folks that just are trying to help people, you know, um, but the 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 folks who have really done the t- put in the time to understand what these cards are are all about from right. the beginning, like they don't like some some people don't like to see right. people using them so loosely, like I'm doing.
0: Yeah, you you had acknowledged that um, in well, I guess one of your newsletters and in the, in one of your posts. Mm-hmm. So you said that. Uh, so people sometimes criticize, well first of all if you have critics you're doing something right, <laughs> but people sometimes criticize your interpretations for being too loosely based on the classical ones and, uh, and then you say how as a language artist and a writer and a healer your primary interest is in what's medicinal. Is there a disconnect there where the traditionalists feel like you're in essence like betraying some sort of code by taking and breaking it down for uh, your needs which is not some order of operations, you pull the card, you do some ritual, you get the reading, but like, you might have the idea first, pull the card, whatever it is. Are you experiencing a blowback or some sort of rejection from a community, tarot communities?
1: It's not like too much blowback. It's just that at this point, there's, there's, I think I have like a hundred and 20,000 or something around their followers on Twitter. So there's a lot of people that see the stuff that I post and it circulates widely. And so I do occasionally get people who are, you know, very knowledgeable about the tra- sort of traditional me- tra- interpretations of the cards. The interesting thing and they is, and they'll, they'll comment, they'll directly. comment and they'll say, that's not what the card means. Actually, it means this. But the thing about it that I find really interesting is that, you know, I have, again, I'm living in a treehouse writing a book about tarot. So pretty much all I do is read about tarot. I'm reading about mysticism, I'm reading about the occult, I'm reading about psychology, like all the things that I need to know and the history of tarot and tarot through all these different lenses. And I'm looking at the interpretations by, let's say, somebody like Arthur Waite, who made the Rider Waite deck, and Aleister Crowley, who made the Toth deck. It's the same set of cards. To, for the most part, right. um, with a few like differences in, in the the archetype names, but they're generally the same cards. They interpret the cards differently. They don't say, say the same thing about them. So my thing is, if they can do that, why 100 years later, or however many years later, am I not allowed to do that? You know, I think about Joseph Campbell a lot, who talked about Updating traditions in order to reflect the times. We need our own myths. We need our own traditions. Otherwise, this old stuff—it belongs to another generation. It right. doesn't. We don't. It's not this. We don't live in the same time as they did. We live in actually a very, very different time Correct. than they did. So, I do my best to honor the, their understandings of the cards because I know that they had access to information that I don't have access to that they were drawing from. However, I also am going to give myself permission to, as an artist, right. interpret something for my community and my people and people that I see who can benefit from it and use it, period. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah, and I think we'll see when the book comes out, we'll see what people think. I'm, I'm planning to reach out to somebody who is very well known in the tarot community for a book that... They have written, and I'm going to see whether that person will be interested in writing a forward. It'll be interesting to see what that person thinks, right? Right, and their
0: response, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, will kind of be, you know, it will be their particular response, but it might be sort of indicative of the uh, yes community at large yeah. attitudes, if, yeah, if they are unspoken, and then the
1: decision has to be made, like me knowing you know i know what my work does for people i I, at least a small amount of what people tell me the emails that i get the notes i get the dms i get the stuff that people tell me that they share the cards with their partners with their mothers with their parents with whoever and that it they with their therapists they talk about it conversations and i'm like that are harder to if that's wrong i don't know what like yeah you don't want to be right (laughs) exactly i'm kind of like i don't see how it's I, 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 I always am mindful of respecting tradition. I'm mindful of not taking things, going back to our earlier conversation, I'm mindful of not just cherry picking and taking something, not really understanding it and, and doing whatever with it. I don't think that's what I do with tarot. I have studied the tarot right. cards for a long time now at this point and in depth. It's literally my entire mm-hmm. job right now is I to research and write about time, tarot. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I'm just disregarding and saying, nope, they mean what I want them to mean. Right. That said, if I decide that I think that this interpretation is more resonant than this other one and it's and I can make the connection, I'm going to go with it. If I think it's going to be more, when I say resonant, I mean medicinal.
0: Right. And I mean, the numbers mm. don't lie. Like the bar a phrase from Jay-Z, you know, mm-hmm. like people are responding, reacting. They're feeling some kind of way, mostly positive, mostly rewarded mm-hmm. or validated or fulfilled yeah. or enlightened any number of those sort of holy shit feelings that come from the readings and they weren't, for whatever reason whether they didn't trust tarot, weren't exposed to it, thought of it as woo-woo it wasn't until you presented it on their phone to them every morning in words that everyone can easily understand and relate to that it started to have that impact and I think that that's what makes what you do so revolutionary and maybe somewhat I don't know, dangerous or egregious to this sort of archaic tarot powers that be, if you will.
1: The thing is, it's like, you got to think about, too, how to get people, what is, you know, you have to, I think, personally, if the interest really is that we want people to understand the tarot and the major arcana specifically as a guide to a spiritual way, that this is sort of like the way to, to this sort of enlightenment, if you will. If that's the case... Then my thing is, how do you get people in the door? Do you get people in the door with the super heady, like... (laughs) Very, people don't even understand what's being said. I mean, some of these books, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. And I, again, I really try. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm willing to do that to really try to understand how is somebody off the street? You know, so for me, my introduction to tarot was not through the hermetic, you know, principles or through any of that stuff, the ancient Egyptian, like, mysteries. I had no idea about any, what any of that stuff was, but I got my foot in the door. And as the years went by through practice, I started to get a little bit more curious about, huh what are some of these other things and dig in a little bit deeper and that was my entry way and i think that's just fine and actually i think it's great now i'm attached yeah now i'm invested i have some skin in the game i really want to now i really want to understand and i and i'm more comfortable with the cards that i can actually go there like i'm having a whole experience out here in the hills of berkeley studying the spiritual path that is sort of Outlined for for the, the seeker in the tarot, which is not something that I was doing previously.
0: Right. That's amazing. And like, <laughs> so totally organic path to get here, not contrived. There's no like, oh, I'm going to major in this and study this, get this internship, and then this is going to happen. Ironically, that's how it happened because you mm-hmm. worked for the psychology publisher and mm-hmm. you ended up out here. Yeah. I just think it's really cool how all the sort of pieces fell in place, follow your yes, and now it, even if it wasn't wildly successful it sounds like and it is it sounds like it's it's equally rewarding personally yeah. spiritually intrinsically for yeah. you yep. and then you inject that into the re, into your interpretations and then we are the beneficiaries like the, the people so thank you for doing it i wanted to so the yoga fits in and is that just your personal practice or does it fit into the elixir of the tarot psychology
1: it does because you know
0: yoga is why ashtanga first of all
1: um what i like about it is that it's practiced in silence at one's own pace everybody sort of has um you're given there there are there are Six series of of postures so like six sequences of postures, and you start when you first go to an ashtanga class, a traditional. It's called Mysore style ashtanga class. The teacher gives you a few poses from the first series, the primary series. Once you've sort of gotten those down, the teacher will give you another one. It might be a week later, might be two weeks later, might be a year later. You know, the teacher sort of sees what's going on, what's happening with your body, whatever. But it's a very independent practice. And the teacher is there to give you new poses as you're ready for them. Now I've been practicing for nine years. So I, my practice is two, two and a half hours long because I have a lot of poses uh, right. since I've been doing it for a long time. Um, which actually, I think the longer you practice the fewer poses you need to do in order to get yourself to the space that we're trying to get ourselves into, which is this sort of ceasing of the activity of the mind. Very difficult thing to do for, you know, obviously for people like us. Um, But yeah, I mean, it fits in. Actually, it really fits in with what I was just saying about sort of the entryway to tarot or like with yoga. It was like, I started practicing yoga because I just wanted to be in shape and I wanted to take better care of myself. And, what I found was a spiritual path. Now it's like, it's my life. I go to bed at eight o'clock. I wake up at five in the morning. I don't do any of the things that I used to do. You know, right. I'm sure that I did with you back in new Orleans. And when I lived there, <laughs> <laughs> I just live a very different yeah. lifestyle and I've been living this way for a long time. And, and it works really well for me and my sort of constitution and the work that I do. And, um, but I needed that, entryway. And I needed, I needed a teacher that was going to be like, yeah, it's cool for you to just come here for whatever reason and not make it this super spiritual thing. It's just like, yeah, whatever, come do your practice and take from it whatever you want. That's how I think of with tarot. It's like, take the deck, do it, whatever. If you're using it in a, in a more of a surface level way, or you're, you're pulling cards and reading your fortune, I don't care what you're doing. The fact is you're using the cards, you're engaging the cards. Let the cards do their thing to you over time. And yoga is similar. It does its thing to you over time. You don't have to go in like, I'm trying to get enlightened. I'm trying to make my mind stop. And just let it do its thing right. to you and Surrender. see what happens. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that you know, yoga as a spiritual path, as a, a path of becoming one with God, that is the same path that tarot is talking about. And, and I use the term God loosely. Right. Creator. Here. You know,
0: you know not... not Whatever is
1: all of this. Right.
0: Yeah. And... The
1: totality of things. And you
0: didn't know that nine years ago when no. you dove into Ashtanga, that it would be a part of this whole process no. for you. But now it sounds like it's all sort of interwoven and connected, and it's just you. It is. I am this. And it's <laughs> I. Whether it's the yoga practice, the cards, or all that comes with it. The yeah. routine, the up at dawn, and and asleep after dusk, that's pretty amazing. Um, I want to finish up, because we, we've been going for hour 15, which is great. It's very, been very engaging, and I appreciate you giving me this much time. But I found one of the most ironic things was when I finally made it to Oakland and, and moved here. <laughs> you had moved to Philly, where I'm from, <laughs> and where I spent most of my 20s so and 30s, um, which is cool. And I think it's, it's great, and I know you love it there. And We talked off-air about some of the pros and cons of both coasts. Um, but in all the articles they reference, you had a tarot circle in uh-huh. Philly. Yeah. So, uh, for those who were wondering, like, is this something that's just an individual practice? It sounds like it could be like a community mm-hmm. unifying thing. Yeah. How did that come to be? And w- what was that? Or is that?
1: So tarot circle, um, when I was in graduate school, I, I, throughout all this time, we haven't really touched on this, but I, I ended up going to graduate school to get a master's in social work because I wanted to have a license to do therapy um and also to honestly i wanted to be able to talk about what i wanted to talk about and do so with sort of (laughs) the legitimacy of having this like social work license or having an msw being a licensed mental health professional that way sort of nobody could tell me i i had no right to talk about the things that i talk about with psychology and um, I think I honestly, that's why I did it. Um, but while I was in grad school, I was, uh, working as an intern, um, as intern therapist in an eating disorder program, running, gr- doing the group therapy with, with the people who were there. And we did a, a, a group with tarot cards, um, per the request of some of the, the, the people who were in the program. And it was awesome. Like everyone pulled cards for themselves and then we just kind of went around and talked about recovery and having an eating disorder and, you know, what the cards were bringing up. And it was powerful. Like, you know, I had run groups with with some of these folks for, it was like a nine month internship and, and had been running groups with them for a while. And some of the things that the cards were bringing up were like so, it was just like it would have taken us so many sessions to get to that for them to touch on that thing you know what I'm saying the card was like an immediate access point right. to something super deep and like super important um I I, I think Yet and I, it felt like people were yeah exactly and so when I was in there I was like well we should I should have this in public like this is this should be a public thing like right. a tarot circle where people can come it's essentially a support group um it's 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 not like I'm not like running it. It's a group of people who pull cards together and collaborate on sort of interpreting them with each other. and And so I started a group in West Philly. and <coughs> um, that's exactly what it was. It was a support group where we used tarot cards as basically ways to prompt discussion and to give people permission to talk about the things that they that they were going through and to get support from the group in the form of collaboratively interpreting the cards. Um, so once again, it's like a, it's almost a tricky way of delivering support and information like I do on Twitter. It's like, oh, you think you're getting your fortune told, but really I'm giving you like a piece of medicine, um, that comes from something that maybe is evidence-based or maybe is coming from like whatever it is, but, um, some piece of wisdom that can help you on your path and tarot circle again, it's, you think you're, you think you're going into, to, look at tarot cards or whatever, but what you end up coming into is a, a supportive space. That's very therapeutic where you get to connect with your peers and you get to be creative and a lot of tears and a sure. lot of, you know, just like it was, it was awesome, man. It yeah. was great. And it's still right. It's still there. The, the, fo- the folks who were part of it with me are still holding it up and running Good. it. There's another one, I think that's going to start in LA with some of the people from Philly who moved Two people from Philly moved to LA and they want to start a tarot circle there So I'm always encouraging. One started in San Francisco. So I'm kind of encouraging people, like, you can have this too. It's a great supportive space. and
0: We've actually done that and not known it. But one of my first really amazing, holy shit, tarot moments was I was at this festival, (laughs) lightning in a bottle. We'd been up all night dancing and stuff. The sun was coming up. Everyone likes to drink tea in the morning in Mm -hmm. the whole, like, burner community. It's like, sun comes up, you drink tea. and. Someone had the deck out and Hafiz book, and we just sat that's around like, for like an hour just pulling cards. To strangers. Like, so a awesome. couple friends, yeah. you know, Alicia and I early in our relationship, a couple friends, and then a couple randoms just at a picnic table at seven in the morning <laughs> pulling cards, talking about life. It's awesome. Yeah.
1: They're amazing. I mean, they're an amazing yeah. way to connect with people because the card gives you permission to share something that you wouldn't just share in a regular right. conversation with strangers. Yep. You wouldn't just say that, but, oh, but the card, well, the card is going to give me permission to disclose this thing, and you get more connection, deeper connection, yeah. more intimacy, and we need that. Like Let's let's be we honest. really do. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, that's awesome that, you know, you can be a portal for so many folks, and not just your tarot circles and, and the people that you know in real life, but through the power, you know, for better or worse, of social media, you're reaching a lot of people, so... I can speak on behalf of thousands to say thank you and deep bow of gratitude. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And with that, also a deep bow for the time yep. and the hang in this beautiful place. And I hope we can do it again. No mics, just just chilling. I, I know you got a crazy schedule, but I would love for of you course. to meet. Alicia, and if you want to stay out past your bedtime, maybe we could do like an early jazz night at a at a bar.
1: I would do that. You know, I would do that. Mellow
0: (laughs) music's our thing. We gotta go. Friday
1: nights usually are my night because I don't practice yoga on Saturday. It's my one day that I don't practice, so I can sometimes make make it work. Yeah, if I really have a coffee and
0: and if not, then maybe just a a meal one day but we gotta get some hangs in this conversation was a reminder of how and why i love you so (laughs)
1: oh i love you too yeah Yeah, thanks for inviting me this is awesome
0: so we'll have the links to all your uh you know your instagram and your twitter on the show notes but for those listening it's the jessica door t-h-e-j-e-s-s-i-c-a-d-o-r-e so at the jessica door on twitter instagram yep. and you'll let us know when and where the book drops and we'll be sure to plug the hell out of it yeah okay we look forward totally. to it so okay. signing off from the berkeley hills beautiful tree house with the jessica door <laughs> this is b guess you've been listening to the up for life podcast uh!